This is the motherfucking Blood Doctor Show. On a Wednesday, as it is and always should be, all the best shows are, baby. And today, an exciting one. My man Jonathan from Friends with Boredom dropped by. We wanted to talk about the magic and all things magic, as is the title of the episode, and we're going to get into that soon. But first, we got to rant about some shit, because you know how I fucking do this. And look, I already talked about the Roe versus Wade thing when the, you know, original draft leaked of what we knew what was going to happen, but a lot of that shit bears repeating, because it's fucking embarrassing to be an American. You literally think that medical services are something that shouldn't be fucking provided? That shit is insane. That shit is fucking insane. Whether it's the abortion issue, whether it's trans healthcare, whether it's therapy. We literally don't believe in medical care in this country. We don't believe in the COVID vaccine that was developed under the president that we believe is God, right? Trump is God to these people. The vaccine was developed underneath him. He was president when they created the vaccine. So surely, if something evil was going on, your Lord Jesus Trump would have stopped it. And yet somehow, they don't believe in that either. We've literally reached a point where they believe in like medicine men or whatever sort of crazy ancient bullshit used to exist. That's the America that we live in now. And it extends not only to just medical care, but look at the Brittany Griner situation. They're not linked, you might say. They are. A black lesbian is sitting in a Russian jail. She's a famous black lesbian, a rich one, maybe, probably from the money made in Russia. Not that WNBA players make any money, but they certainly make money playing in Russia, and now they've detained her. But do you think if she was a straight white male NBA player, she would be there? Of course not. The world is set up for straight white men. And I know that looking like I do and saying all these things is blah, blah, blah. But anyone who knows me knows, well, you should all know things about me, right? People know that I am gender fluid. People know all of those things about me. So, but I'm still well aware that when I go in public and people just see me looking like I look right now, people just see, you know, every other white guy. And so I understand when I say these things, it comes across as hollow or vapid or whatever, but I don't know what to say when we don't even make any effort to get this woman out of a fucking Russian prison. The United States that I grew up in would view the idea of an American citizen being trapped in a Russian prison as a fucking terror show. And I'm not saying that that was like a good thing or that the old United States was great or something, but when did we become a country that was just fine with Americans sitting in Russian jails and we'll sit there and make no effort to do anything about it? That's us now? Really? We're just like, oh no, man, we're not even getting involved. And I'm not trying to say that a rich person being in jail in another country is the biggest issue in the world, but it's an innocent person in jail in a foreign country. Shouldn't we be doing something about it? Well, not if that's a person of color who also happens to be a member of the LGBTQ community. No, no, no. Then we don't need to do anything about it. And I'm sure I'll be lambasted too because my make my bitches love the blood doctor jokes because no one can apparently tell the difference between fun and reality. 
But the simple fact of the matter is that people actually don't give a shit about women, about homosexual people, about anyone in the LGBTQ community, about, about gender fluid people, trans people. Anyone who's not a white person is just, you don't give a fuck about them, do you? And you just don't care. You just don't care beyond your own worldview. And I just don't understand. I don't get it. I straight up don't get it. I don't understand people who literally cannot see beyond themselves. People who literally can't take a step out of their own world for a moment and just say, maybe, just maybe, not everything in the world is about me. Whoa, oh my God, radical fucking idea, right? The whole world doesn't revolve around you? Insane. I know you can't stand it, but it's the truth. And I just don't, I just don't know how much more news I can take. Every single day there's something like, in Florida now they're forcing teachers to take down pictures of their same-sex partners because you're not allowed to even let children know that you're gay. Otherwise that means you're a pedophile in Florida. This country's literally having sections of it transition into a Nazi fetish. It's disgusting. And I don't even know what to do except say something really horrible that I don't know how to even let it come out of my mouth but I think we might have to vote Democrat like as much as I hate to say those things as a person so far left that you know I've left the Democratic Party long ago because they won't support a single thing on on my my ticket but we may just have to actually vote blue because at the presidential level it doesn't matter it is what it is but at the local level it sure does and we're seeing what happens when we just ignore local elections and let Republicans run all of them. They will do every single thing that they can to turn this into some some sort of 1950s fetishized Pleasantville white America where no one has any rights and we're just inches away from slavery and anyone who isn't a straight white person is labeled a racist, pedophile, Antifa extremist and they're put in prison. And you may say to yourself, oh, that's, you know, well, this is not, oh, that's not. We're literally steps away from that. Go look up how fascism begins. We are there. We are in the early stages of fascism. Congratulations, America. You've done something amazing. You've turned our country into the country that your fucking parents fought to free us from. Baby boomers literally ushered in the fascism that their parents fought to free the world from. Pretty fucking cool, folks. Pretty fucking cool, Republicans. Absolutely unbelievable. Abso-fucking-lutely unbelievable. This, this country is just filled with the dumbest kind of moron hypocrite that doesn't know a fucking thing. All of these conservative morons don't know a fucking thing. It's embarrassing. I laugh in their fucking face rather than talk to them. Because you can't educate these people. You can't educate the hatred out of these people. It's burned so deep inside them. All they know how to do is hate. And then they hold their Bible up and they say, this is where I learned how to hate. Look at all these things about hatred. But then they look at a Muslim who's reading the Quran and say, oh, that's evil. It's just twisted bullshit. And I'm tired of it. We don't live in a Christian nation. We live in a country that is supposed to be free of religion, but there are so many low IQ religious cocksucker dolts 
that just cannot get out of their 2000 year old book that we continue to have to deal with those morons to this fucking day. If you literally believe that a book from 2000 years ago is the most important and the most up-to-date piece of uh, writing in the world, then I guess I understand why you don't fucking want to take a vaccine because you are a fucking jackass and there's nothing that could save you. Certainly not a vaccine. It is embarrassing to be an American. It is embarrassing to be an American. So much of the rest of the world is not as progressive as us. And it's still embarrassing to be an American because at least in so many other places around the world, they don't deny medical care to their own citizens. What an insane fucking idea. I cannot even wrap my head around the idea. I've never been able to understand how people would deny medical care to people from other countries. I've never understood that concept. I've never gotten that concept at all. Well, you're not from here. You don't deserve health care. You only deserve health care if you're born within the continental United States. I've never understood that at all. But now it's gone beyond that. Now it's literally just no one who isn't me deserves health care. What are we doing? No one deserves help. No one deserves health care. No one deserves a safe place to live. No one deserves food or water or shelter. No one deserves anything. It's the Hunger Games here in the United States, folks. That's what we've been led to. It's embarrassing. And I, for one, cannot wait to get myself out to the um, the West Coast. I don't know what the fuck we're going to call it, but Washington, Oregon, and California are just basically going to be their own little socialist paradise. And I cannot fucking wait to get myself into one of them. Whoo! Let's bring it on down and get into our NBA take of the day. My man Jonathan from the Friends with Boredom pod and from the Close Up Magic pod came in to talk about everything that went on with the Magic leading up to drafting Paolo Banquero and how he feels about that, what he sees coming up for the Magic. Side note, I know that we're right upon NBA free agency. We really didn't talk about that. There's a billion things that could occur. We'll talk about those things after they do happen. I'm not going to sit here and talk about a billion different pathways like our Rehoboam or some shit. So let's just go ahead and dive in. Again, you can check out Jonathan on the Friends with Boredom pod at FWB pod on Twitter. They're basically everywhere. Spotify, Google Podcasts, all that stuff. And you can uh, find the Close Up Magic at theclosupmagic.com. Also a blog there which Jonathan contributes to. And you can find my man on Twitter at underscore Jonathan, not John, and there's no H in Jonathan. Let's talk about the magic. And now returning to the show for the second time, but the first time under actual good circumstances, because the last time we talked was when DMX passed away. RIP, what a horrible day that was, especially because we found out during the show. Yeah. You, that, that was fucking horrible, but what are you going to do? My man, Jonathan, from the Friends of Benefit pod, uh, friends with benefits pod friend with boredom pod i told myself not to do that 20 fucking times i kept practicing i was like don't say friends with benefits don't say friends with benefits don't pray friends with benefits and it's i did it friends with boredom pod what's up man how you doing not too bad man like you said last time we recorded like dmx literally died or at least it was na- announced that he died right as we were sort of honoring him so yeah hopefully hopefully like uh 
Paolo Bancaro doesn't like tear an ACL during this. <laughs> yeah, knock on wood. That would be yeah. that would be fucking terrible. That was that was a rough one because we were sitting there talking about it. We were like, well, maybe he hasn't passed away. We hope beyond hope. And then they literally tweeted it in the middle of us talking about it. That was horrible. Mm. Um, but we move on to better things. Um, so I listened to I listened to the most recent episode of Friends of Boredom. Um, and I know you wanted Paolo Bancaro. Did you like, did you, were you shocked? Did you think it was going to happen? Were you just publicly posturing that you wanted Paolo Bancaro? Like what, like how, how did this all come together for you as like a magic fan and sure. someone who, you know, you 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 follow the team, you write about the team all the time. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of different Orlando magic uh, Twitter group chats. I'm sure there are for the Suns as well. And I'm a part of a few of them, but there's one main chat. Um, and then one close-up magic chat. And I predominantly contribute to the close-up magic chat because it's smaller and I can tolerate those people a lot better than uh, the magic fan base as a whole. But amongst the, the magic fans, it was a pretty even split between Paolo and Jabari, who people wanted. The close-up chat, we all predominantly wanted um, Paolo. And uh, I, I've been pretty set on Paolo since about January myself. When the new, not the news, but the leak started coming out that uh, Paolo uh, didn't work out for the Magic and last minute he canceled his media session um, and that Chet Holmgren had canceled his media session and there were rumors saying that he sort of tanked his workout maybe. Uh, all signs pointed to like, oh, Jabari Smith is the guy. And so I spent the last couple of weeks just sort of like accepting that because he was number three on my board. I uh, had Paolo, then Chet, then, then Jabari. But I liked all three of them. So I'm like, this is fine. Like, it's not who I wanted. But regardless, we're getting a good player. And the day of the draft, I'm in the group chats with everyone. And I just kept saying over and over, like, why is Jabari the guy when uh, Paolo, in my opinion, is clear cut the best player in the draft? Like, I think right. he's a tier above the other two. Um, it just didn't make sense. And we were trying to rationalize, well, maybe he's not the best fit right off the bat. And sure, that could be true. But, uh, you know, we were all sort of like, all right, I guess this is our guy. And I'm literally, there's an ice cream place up the road for me. Uh, my girlfriend and I are getting ice cream. And suddenly I, I check Twitter because I draft is in like 20 minutes. Get a, a, I forgot who tweeted it, but it's like very real chance that Paolo Bancaro goes to the Magic. I was like, oh, like I'm getting goosebumps right now talking about it because that's the guy. <laughs> Um, I'm like, oh man, oh man! But like, the Magic are notorious for being tight-lipped. Like, nothing leaks out of the, out of their camp. So it's like nobody really knows. So even though that was sort of the scoop, watching the the draft unfold and seeing uh, the lead up to it, like when he when Adam Silver says with the number one pick, blah blah blah, the Magic select uh, Pal and Bancaro, I was sort of taken aback. Um, so it was initial surprise, but. Uh, by and large, I was very happy. I think the Magic fan base was very happy. The Magic front office has to be stoked that this happened. Um, side story on this is during the draft lottery, we were just talking about jerseys before we started recording. I was wearing my throwback Mike Miller jersey that I got uh, literally like a month before the Magic traded him, right? And it was a good luck jersey. It's like, wow, we got the first pick and I was wearing my Mike Miller jersey. Well, that day or before the draft, I put on my magic jersey and maybe it'll bring me some luck again. And lo and behold, 
we got the guy I wanted. So I, I'm putting some stock into jerseys. You know, I, I would encourage you to wear your DeAndre Ayton jersey as often as possible. Maybe uh, it'll signal good things to come, uh, you know, as far as an extension with him and the Suns. Yeah, I don't, uh, I'm not really even sure where that goes at this point, but uh, every time I think about it, I want to drink. So yeah, um, I, I don't, uh, I don't pretend to be a draft Nick. I don't, you know, I, 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 I do watch college basketball, but I am not someone who's sitting there. Like I'm not an analysis guy. Yeah. So just from, you know, an NBA analysis perspective, it was shocking to me to sort of watch uh, because I really thought like, truthfully coming into this whole process, I really thought that the magic would pick Chet Holmgren just because he's a large freak of nature with crazy wingspan and all these things. And I was like, well, the magic, like they're freaks of nature, they're going to pick Chet Holmgren. And I was sure of that. I was wrong. Um, but then it just became like, it's definitely Jabari. It's Jabari. I'm a gambler. So I looked at, you know, number one overall pick, were there any good odds? Well, apparently the good odds would have been on Paolo Banquero. Um, you know, it just looked like it was locked in. And so it was shocking to see it happen so quickly. And it's interesting to me, to see, I can't think of a time in history where, um, and I know that, you know, historically we didn't, you know, have this much media covering it, but at least in the last, you know, decade, 12 years or whatever, I can't think of a time where the number one overall pick, the presumptive number one overall pick sort of flopped at the last minute or flip-flopped at the last minute. And not only that, but the fan base was incredibly happy about it. Like I remember when the Celtics traded out of number one, their fan base was distraught because they wanted Markel Fultz so badly. Their fans loved Markel Fultz. And they'll tell you, that's not true. Now we all wanted Jason Tatum, blah, blah, blah. That's not true. They wanted Markel Fultz and they were distraught when they traded back and that worked out for them incredibly well. And it seems like, like you said, like the magic fan base is happy. I can't think of a time that something like this happened where it was like last minute, it changed and everyone was like, fuck. Yeah. Because this would be like, for example, if the Suns last minute, we all knew they were drafting Aiton, but if they drafted Doncic last minute, the fan base would have been pissed. It probably would have been the right move. But I can't think of a situation like this. And it's amazing to me that Magic fans are totally on board. And you said it. You think this is the right move. No question in your mind. You said he's clear, clear cut ahead of the other two in your mind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the other two will be great, too. I think each of them has all-star potential, for sure. Um, I just think... Paolo seems like the most dynamic of the three. Right. Um, you know, Chet, by all measures, is uh, you're drafting him because of what he can potentially provide on the defensive end. Um, and then, of course, he's going to be an offensive, you know, uh, I don't want to say powerhouse, but he's going to be someone who can provide offense too. But you're drafting him predominantly for defense. But in today's NBA, when the average team is scoring 110 points per game, like, you have to value what someone can do in the offensive end uh, over defense, in my opinion, at least that early in the draft. And I think Paolo not only being able to create his own shot, but to potentially be do be able to do it at three levels, those kind of guys don't come along very often. Like Jabari's maybe the best shooter in the, in the draft or one of the top three best shooters. Um, but you can sign guys like that. Yeah. Maybe not 6'10", 6'11", three-point shooters with defensive versatility like that, but it's a lot easier to get someone like that than it is to get a guy who can potentially potentially give you 25 a night in his prime. Do you what, what is the comp in your mind for Paolo? Like, when I say comp, I'm talking about, like, he hits all of his maximum upside. Like, what is his, yeah. his supreme comp? Like, he could be what to you? Um, that's a good one. Um. I want to say Anton Jameson because I don't think he's 
Um, I don't want to say he's a franchise changer by any means, but I think he could be like a good one, a one B type of guy. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I see a lot of Anton Jameson in him. He may end up being better than Anton Jameson because he's going to be a guy that plays in space. Whereas Anton Jameson did not have that luxury during the era he played in, you know, you take prime Anton Jameson, like 2003, 2004, Anton Jameson and plug him into today's NBA. What kind of guy is that? It's a yeah. 25 and 10 guy, maybe. Yeah. Um, I've seen some comparisons to Jason Tatum because, uh, you know, they're sort of hybrid four threes. I think Paolo is more sort of four than a three. Um, I think Paolo can probably play five as well. Uh, whereas Tatum is strictly three, four. Um, there's some comparison to that. He's a, he's a unique player, I think, um, in that regard that there's no perfect, um, player comp, but I, I really, I feel comfortable with, uh, prime Anton Jameson, maybe with a bit more perimeter skill. Yeah. I, I, I was, I, when I, that's a great cop. Cause when I'm watching him, I'm like, you know, he hits a couple of jumpers from kind of everywhere and you're like, Oh, you know, he can do that. And then he goes through a guy. And you're like, oh, okay. Like, like you said, like he is more of a four. Like he'll go through a motherfucker. Like mm-hmm. he will just dunk through you. And then I, I'm, you know, and again, I'm watching highlights, so I'm watching the best of him. But you still see times where you see times where he's against someone he's completely outmatched, or they're completely outmatched, and it's like, you know, this is not even anything. But then you see times where I scum go off the dribble a few times that I was like, man, there could be handles there. And I don't know that mm-hmm. he's got, you know. I don't know that he has like Kevin Durant in his future kind of handles or whatever, or even necessarily Tatum, but that did shock me more based on like what I had heard about him. And I really think, I I think you're right. Like, I think he's more unique than people would have expected. Like I, like you said, I think you know exactly what you're getting from Jabari. Like he will give you, he's, you know, he's going to shoot the three. He's going to protect the rim. He's like a, like, I don't know, like Serge Ibaka with a better jump shot, maybe kind Mm -hmm. of thing, but maybe, maybe bigger. You know, it's hard to, but sort of that sort of thing. Chet Holmgren, I don't know, dude. That dude is either going to be like Alexi Pokashevsky or he's going to yeah. be Kevin Durant. I don't fucking yeah. know. And that's such a gamble. And I, I, you know, this is, it's just interesting. I think we've got three interesting dudes who all kind of went the right place for them. I really mm-hmm. think Jabari Smith is perfect in, in what Houston wants to do. And I think that's a better fit. So um, I actually think this draft worked out really well. And, and speaking of fits, do you, are you obviously you like what Ben Caro brings? Do you think he fits well with other guys on the magic? Are there guys, is there going to be some consolidation that needs to be done or fuck them? We don't care. We have Palo now. Like what's your, I think, I think eventually con- uh, consolidation will happen. I don't think it's this year though. Um, I think when you look at the front court specifically, just strictly the front court of Franz Wagner at the three, uh, Palo Ben Caro at the four and Wendell Carter Jr. at the five, those are three guys that are 6'10". Um, that's going to be a tough matchup any night for any team. And I think those three complement each other very well because um, they can all three score from three different levels, right? Um, to varying degrees of self-creation. Um, it's, it's where it gets tricky is the backcourt. Um, Markel Fultz, I'm super high on the magic fan base as a whole is super high on when he plays when he's healthy he's been tremendous and you can see why he was picked number one the magic last season tanked that's part of why their record was so bad they were the most injured team the last two seasons 
um, and they they tanked last year. So Fultz uh, didn't really get to show what he can do because in a lot of those meaningful games, maybe he'd sit for an extended period of time. But we know what the problem is with Fultz. It's not a good three-point shooter. Spacing is going to be an issue. Jalen Suggs was projected to be a pretty good three-point shooter, and he hasn't been. And likely he's the starting two. So it, in a sense, the, the, the starting five will have some kinks to work out because of that. But by and large, I think you can, you can work around that. You know, maybe Suggs takes, and, takes a step as a shooter. Maybe Markel Fultz develops at least a, a, a standing three-point shot. If not able to create off the dribble, maybe as a spot-up shooter, perhaps. Maybe you have to play him more with Cole Anthony. Uh, there's ways around it, but I think it may be a little bit clunky at first. But you um, don't, you know, here's the thing: when you're when you've been through this, you your your sons were rebuilding for a while. Yeah, it gets to a point where you just have to draft the best player available yeah. and yeah. work work out the fit yeah. later. And I think that's where the Magic are. They have they have good players on the team. They'll figure it out at some point. Hopefully, uh, the GM. Um, John Hammond has plenty of experience. Jeff Feltman, the, the president of basketball operations, they've both been in this league 30, 40 years, you know, so they'll, they'll figure it out, I think. Yeah, and, and that's, that's a really good point because the Suns for years did not do that. They really, truly didn't take best player available for fucking years. They were trying to always find a specific player who fits some archetype. I'm going to take Kendall Marshall because he could be the t- next Steve Nash. I'm going to take Markeith Morris because he could somehow replicate Amari Stoudemire, which I don't, again, I don't understand what any kind of thought process behind any of this stuff was, <laughs> but everything was, was foolish and never best player available in, in the, the 2013 draft. Even I was like, dude, just take Giannis. Like, who cares if we've only seen him play against eighth graders? Like, just do it. If it fails, so what? Instead, they took Alex Len. Like, everything has just been flawed. And so I agree with you completely. Like, if there's a guy that you like that you're just like, this is our dude, just fucking take him. And I think it's interesting that the Magic were so, like, like yeah, like tight-lipped about it. But, hey, you know, they they handled it their way. They got their guy. Um, so are you are you out on Isaac or like you think he could still be a valuable six man or the yeah, things right. that guy says you just don't want him anywhere near your fucking team? Yeah. Like you and I have a similar uh, political agenda, so there's going to be things uh, that I'm automatically going to be prone to telling people to fuck off for, and almost everything Jonathan Isaac stands for is something I would typically tell someone to fuck off for. Um, so it's hard to remove myself from. Uh, his politics. Uh, I'm sure he's like a fine person. Like, I don't think just because you vote a certain way makes you a bad person. I just think it's completely irresponsible, the message that he's sending out to people. So it just, it's, it, I try to look at things, you know, neither black or white, but like a gray area. But dude, I just, I just want him off the team. He, he, dealing with the things that he sort of promotes and he stands for while also not being able to enjoy maybe what he does on the court because he's been injured for two years. It just, it just doesn't feel like the juice is worth the squeeze as a fan anyway. Um, but Florida, probably much like Arizona is a 50, 50. There's plenty of blue, there's plenty of red. Um, yeah. And so the fan base as a whole is pretty divided uh, about Jonathan Isaac. Uh, some people are able to overlook his, his politics um, and they've re- I, I guess, resort to looking at highlights from 2018, the last time he played, 2019, and they find some glimmer of hope in that. I, on the other hand, am a realist. It's been, by the time 
next season starts, he'll have been out for 26 months, something like that. Jesus. Um, he's coming off another surgery, like a calf surgery or something, hamstring, something like that. I just don't see a, a scenario in which he's ever the same player that he once was, and nor do I think he'll ever live up to, to the contract. I think the Magic have to proceed as if he's not going to play, even if he does. Um, it's going to be limited minutes. I can't imagine he's going to play back-to-back, not not early on in the season anyway. So we'll see what happens. I think 16, no, uh, what is it, 6 million? 10 million, something like that. Only a fraction of his contract is guaranteed this year. And I think none of it's guaranteed next year um, if he doesn't play X amount of games. So that'll be sort of interesting to watch. That'll probably be the most exciting thing to to figure out if you're a Magic fan. Like, what's going on with Isaac? Does he play X amount of games? Can we cut him yet? But yeah. there's no denying, if he is healthy, if you're looking at prime Isaac, he's he's a defensive player of the year caliber guy. He's just He's never been able to sustain any, any sort of health, long-term health. Yeah, yeah. And I, I do think... I do feel like having a dude like that who like, because it's not just his political beliefs. Like Kurt Warner was someone who was like kind of obnoxious about how much he loves God. And it's like, Mm -hmm. yes, dude, we get it. Like, seriously, I understand it. You don't have to say it at the end of every sentence, but like, I don't think he was someone who would like go out of his way to alienate, alienate other dudes in the locker room. Like that was a problem that the Warriors had with Mark Jackson and Andrew Bogut and was part of the reason that Mark Jackson was fired was because he goes out of his way to alienate fucking everyone who doesn't believe exactly what he does. Mm -hmm. And the Warriors have a very diverse front office and they didn't like that shit. Andrew Bogut's an atheist. He got tired of being begged to pray in a pregame. And I kind of feel like, like a dude like Jonathan Isaac, who's going to like, be in everyone's face about everything all the time and soak up every ounce of media attention he possibly can and give speeches and all these things. I do think that like, if you're not all on, I mean, we don't all have to be on the same side about everything. I understand all of that, but like, there's just like, he, like, like you said, like some of the stuff he said is downright fucking obnoxious. And I just can't imagine that it's gotta be difficult, especially from a dude who's never playing. And so I, like, if I was a Magic fan, that's exactly how I would feel. So I was just curious, cause I know that we feel the same well, way about many things, so. You, the thing is, surprisingly, the Magic locker room has, from, from what I hear, has sort of embraced it. Maybe not all of his talking points, mm. but they, they seem to like the guy. He seems to be well-liked. Mm. But, you know, when it comes to actually playing, when he's healthy, um, how focused is he going to be? He seems like he works hard. I'm not going to take that away from him. Like mm. he he's very analytical about the game. You can hear it when he talks about the game. So he's definitely watching and he's, he's checking out tape and he's invested in that regard. But when push comes to shove, it matters more what you do on the court than anything else. And, you know, is the book tour that he's doing going to interfere with that is, uh, are these public speaking events that he's doing uh, these, uh, where a lot of white nationalists attend uh, media is going to be asked like media, no matter where he, he goes, where they play, they're probably going to ask him these things and it could become a distraction. Tim Tebow was the same way. I mean, granted Tim Tebow was a mega star in college, but he gets to the NFL and pe- that's all people want to talk about, whether he was playing or not, you know, and it doesn't mean he's a bad guy or anything, but his presence looms over the franchise and it could become a distraction. And when that's your that, sixth or seventh man, that becomes an issue. Like, yeah, exactly. So, we'll we'll see what happens. I think right now is just to see if he can can just play basketball. Like, can he get 10, 15 minutes a night while he recovers? That's pretty much where I'm at with that. I don't think you include him in future plans. I, 
you have to proceed as if he's not going to play. That's how you build the roster this year. You have to. What about like you, you mentioned Cole Anthony, like, are you on him as like a sixth man or what? Like, how do you, like you, you said you really believe in Fultz. So you're higher on Fultz than Cole Anthony. Jalen Suggs is the two like that. That's kind of your, mm-hmm. the hierarchy in your mind. Yeah. I think Cole Anthony is a spark plug. I think there are teams he could probably start for. Um, problem with him is he, for lack of a better word, is you just don't know what you're going to get from right. him night in and night out. He's inconsistent. There are nights where he looks like, oh, wow, this guy could be an all-star. You know, you look at him like, this is a, the way he plays, the way he carries himself. This is an all-star player. Then other nights you're like, get him off the damn court. Get him <laughs> off the court right now. You know, so it, it's – but those are the kind of guys that make excellent six men. Yeah. That's exactly what you kind of want from a six man. And who knows, maybe with his workload scaled back some, some of that efficiency rises. I wouldn't be opposed to starting him. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, if it's him and Cole and Suggs is off the bench, that's 100% fine with me, too. I just think defensively uh, you'd be doing yourself a disservice to have your two lead guards be uh, neutral at best on defense, whereas Suggs has proven he's sort of a high-end uh, defensive specialist who can uh, get going offensively. You know, we, we'll, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, you know, from your perspective, I'm sure you haven't watched too much of the Magic at all, but, like, what do you see from the guards? Well, I – the Fultz thing – Fultz drives me a little crazy because it you can see it sometimes. It's fucking tantalizing when it's there. Like – the dude has it. And like, I remember watching him at Washington being like, my God, this guy, it's, it's there. I, I, I don't know what his issues are mentally or whether, you know, all of that is for someone else to say, but I understand why you would have that, that sort of enthusiasm for him because I think he can really play. And Cole Anthony kind of reminds me, like you said, like, like he almost reminds me of not that they necessarily play exactly the same way, but like Kobe white in Chicago mm-hmm. who just comes off the bench. And sometimes it's like, Oh my God, he has seven threes. What's going on right now. And, you know, Cole Anthony, just like every now and then, like, like you say, just explodes. And I love keeping dudes like that around. Um, I, I'm with you. I don't know that it's like, I, I, I kind of agree with you. Like this is like you truthfully, that that's how I would, I viewed it as well. Like the thing to me about the magic is I think it's kind of interesting. It's like you said, like they're kind of inverted a little bit because with their guards, it's a little bit more like attack. And with their bigs, it's a little bit more like, Hey, I, like you said, I can score from anywhere I can shoot. And it's, I think if you can find a way to orchestrate all of that, I actually think the magic could be, a way better team than expected this year. Like, like I, I don't, I guess I don't know what people are expecting necessarily because obviously we haven't gone through the free agency process and I, I wouldn't anticipate that the magic are going to sign any big fish. I think we know mostly what the team is minus veteran signings or whatever, but I actually think with good coaching, this team could really be fucking interesting this year because there's a little bit of everything everywhere. Um, I, I really, the biggest thing for me that I would say is that I think Wagner's, I think Wagner and Van Kiro, <laughs> that, that pick and roll, that, that action between those two, I think that's going to be a fucking nightmare to defend for a lot of teams. And I think that as those two gain chemistry, I think you just let everything else. I think I, I if it was me, I'm like, okay, I've got Wagner and Van Kiro. Everything revolves around those two and whoever fits around those guys, 
those are the guys I'm paying. Those are the guys I'm they're keeping. Because I just think those two dudes are going to be special together. From everything I've seen with Bankero in the pick and roll, like like you said, like having two dudes who are 6'10", who can potentially flip-flop the action together, like how do you – that shit is scary. And so I am actually excited to watch a lot of Magic basketball this season because I think this team is going to be really fucking fun. I, I, depending on again they need to make a couple moves what kind of veteran signings do you think they need to make because i think they need they need some dudes who like can help them know how to win right sure i think i think right now their their roster is like at 13 um pending uh whatever happens to mo bamba i know we're sort of who knows by the time this is released that that could be uh fixed and, and dealt with already but uh we uh rescinded the qualifying offer to Mo Bamba, making him an unrestricted free agent. Um, from what I've gathered, they are still interested in potentially bringing him back, but they've also uh, have reached out to Isaiah Hartenstein, um, who uh, I guess they're the front runner for him. So that's a safety net if they're not able to retain Bamba. Once you figure that out, you only have one open roster spot, unless you convert their second round pick, Caleb Houston, um, into a two-way guy, which I guess that's to be seen. We have Terrence Ross already. Um, again, it doesn't sound like he's uh, being traded yet. That could change. Um, so there's one vet, and I think you fill out that last roster spot. Um, I don't know. I, my heart tells me it's going to be Michael Carter-Williams. He's been working out with the team um, even after they cut him. He's involved in a lot of the practices, and he's been a great locker room guy. He's a high-energy guy. He's got a high motor, so it doesn't matter whether he's playing – 35 minutes a night, or he's collecting 30 DNPs in a row. He's pretty invested. So wouldn't, wouldn't mind going that route or potentially even just uh, bringing back Robin Lopez, though I think he deserves better than the role we gave him. Um, could be one of the young guys in the summer league team, though I don't think we want to carry that many young guys. It's, it, it's tough to say. Um, yeah, I mean, Terrence they, Ross is kind of the main veteran and I mean, Terrence Ross is a dude everyone loves, right? So that, I mean, mm -hmm. that's a, that's not a bad thing at all. And I guess you make a good point. Like, there's really not much room for roster movement, really. I mean, unless, again, unless, like you said, some sort of consolidation trade would really mm -hmm. be the only way. But I don't know who's, at this point, I don't know. I guess at this point in the summer, you're really not seeing that. So, um, so more of internal growth than this year, you know? I think so, yeah. I think you'll you'll hopefully retain Terrence Ross and then, get an end of the bench veteran as well to sort of solidify that. Um, you got, you got to remember, like, even though they're young, Wendell Carter Jr. Uh, is going on his fifth year in the league, right? True. Um, even though he's been injured, Fultz has been around a while. Yeah, true. Uh, it, Jonathan Isaac, even though he hasn't played, has been around a while. These guys aren't new to the NBA grind by any means. So, there is that, and of course, Terrence Ross being the longest tenured player on the Magic, that should help ease some of that. Cole Anthony going into his third year, you know, he's been through the grind, not necessarily a veteran, but despite their ages, you know, I think they were the youngest team in the NBA last year. They've got a decent amount of experience under their belt, so I don't think having the veteran presence is quite as important. I think you can make do with one guy like Ross who's actually on the court and then an end-of-the-bench guy to fill that Udonis Haslam role. It's just like, you know, this is this is more of so an extension of the coaching staff who may sometimes suit up and play. Right, right. Um, and so barring basically 
with those moves? What kind of, assuming that it basically goes that way, you keep Terrence Ross, you pick up, you know, one, two veteran end of the bench, whatever the case may be. What, what is your uh, best case scenario? Do you think um, for the magic this year? Like, do you, do you like everything goes well? I, the, the biggest problem there obviously is the improved Eastern conference, right? Because the Eastern mm-hmm. conference has gotten to a point where it's no longer like, you know, the triple a conference, like it's gotten deep and obviously the, the play in helps, but like, where do you see things go right? What's the outcome? Yeah. I mean, the Hawks just got to Jonte Murray for well below market value. So they're going to be a lot better. And I think a lot of the teams in the Eastern conference are going to be a lot better. So I don't want to say they're going to make the playoffs. I think success for them looks like two things. One, um, being competitive every night, having a chance. I think uh, if you want to put a, a goal for the team, be in play for a play-in spot. You know, hover around 34, 35, 36 wins, and I think that's a win. Uh, but more importantly, just continued development. Like, you want to see Markel Fultz stay healthy for an entire season. Um, Cole Anthony bring up his efficiency. Jalen Suggs improve as a, as a playmaker and a shooter. See if Franz Wagner um, can establish himself a little bit more, you know, be a little bit more um, aggressive. Uh, see if Wendell Carter Jr. can maintain that level of play because last year he was the, the team's best player probably. Um, and then more than that, just see how Paolo fits with the team and see what you what you have with him and what works. So that way next off season, next season, you can kind of better prepare yourself for uh, the future. That's when you make cons- consolidation trades. That's when you s- start to build around your core. So I think those are going to be more important than the actual end of the season record. But I do think if all goes according to play my plan and everyone's healthy, 34 to 36 wins seems really attainable. So you would you would say the magic won the Vooch trade then, right? Because you're you're high on 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 uh, on Wendell Carter. I mean, I, I think we I think we won. I don't think it's as bad as some people make it out. Like Magic fans love ragging on the Bulls. I think the Bulls got exactly what they needed. They needed a guy like Vucevic to bring in a guy like DeRozan. Mm-hmm. And not for nothing though, they were another team that got injured late in the season, and that's when things started to fall apart. I, I wouldn't the plug on that yet but yeah Wendell Carter Jr. and Franz Wagner and next year's first I think I, I give the edge to the magic for sure I'm, I'm pretty happy with how that had how that deal ended up turning out because I was really upset about it when it happened yeah it seemed it seemed bizarre at the time I was not a fan of well I liked it for the Bulls truthfully and I was like man I don't what because Wendell Carter it seemed had kind of just fallen apart a little bit and um, you know, we didn't know where the picks would be with the Bulls, but yeah, I mean, like you said, getting getting Wagner and then having Carter come on. Are you are you uh, you're high on him, but not necessarily sold on him? Then, like you like him, but we need to see another season. You you're not over the idea that last year could be fool's gold or something. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, exactly. I, I think definitively he was the best player last year, um, but consistency has always been his his weak, uh, not his weakness, but it's been a flaw of his, right? Um, so, you know, I think this is the year that he needs to establish like, no, that is the man that I am. That is the player that I am today. Uh, worst case scenario. I mean, he's on a very reasonable contract, 12 million a year, something like that. If he's just your sixth man, that's fine too. I think I, I'm, I'm, 
I would say I'm 80%, maybe 75% sure he's the starter. Uh, but I'm not going to, I'm not saying 100% by no means. I, I don't think I can get to that until I see him stay healthy and just keep that level of engagement that he had last year. If he can do that for one more year, then yeah, definitively he's, he's your starting five. Franz, Paolo, and Wendell Carter Jr. are the, are the core of that team. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's an exciting group to me, honestly. Like, when I think about it, like, I, I really like them, truthfully. Like, I, like I said, like, I intend to watch a lot of Magic basketball this year because it's something that I, I do. When I play 2K, I build teams like the Magic build teams. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I want everyone to have a fucking seven-foot wingspan, and I want everyone to be able to pass, and I want everyone to be able to play defense. And whether or not you can shoot doesn't matter because I'll fucking figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I play 2K that way. And so the magic are always kind of constructed in these really interesting ways. And I think that this is one of the, the best instances of that in a long time. So you had a question you wanted to ask me. Yeah, yeah. So um, the Phoenix Suns with DeAndre and sort of that being uh, – in limbo the magic have been there before obviously for different reasons with dwight howard different caliber player different circumstances but sort of being held hostage uh you know you don't it's i mean phoenix sort of shot themselves in the foot it's not deandre by any means but they're in a, a situation now where it seems like they can't move forward um you know building their team till they can figure out what happens with they and so uh, i figured i'm talking to a phoenix suns guy on his podcast i'm curious it's been something i've been extremely curious about because i don't really know very many phoenix suns fans on twitter i don't follow many so how how do you think that plays out i don't honestly know how it plays out at this point well i mean part of the problem is there's really not a whole lot of options left i mean i know how it insane it sounds to most people but the kevin durant thing really was the option because if Kyrie somehow just walked away and blew the whole thing up and kevin durant doesn't want to be in the doesn't want to be in uh, that team anymore we know he loves devin booker the suns have a million assets it 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 made sense and Kyrie opted back in and it's pretty much over at this point for that one and that was the one thing i looked at that i was like okay that would be a win and in every other scenario, I don't see, I don't see how the Suns could win. You know, I know that you're, winning simply means you know continuing to be competitive as a championship team. But the thing is, they fuck this up on their own. Like you said, like someone someone said this, and I I don't know who it was, and credit to them, but they said essentially about DeAndre Ayton, the Suns told him just be a fourteen and ten guy. Stop worrying about all your buckets, just focus on playing defense, you know, attacking the rim when we want you to just focus on the things that we care about and we'll take care of you. And then when it came time for his contract, they were like, well, why are you only scoring 14 and 10? Like they asked him to take a a back seat. He agreed to do it, did what they asked him. Then they used that against him in negotiations. I just, I don't see, I don't see how this works at all, but I, I, I will say this. Number one, Michael Porter Jr. Got fucking five years and 207 million. Mm-hmm. So there's no way that you can look Deandre agents, his agents straight in the face and say, you don't deserve this money. I, I'm sorry. It, it doesn't work that way. The kid anchored the defense of an NBA finals team. He played his ass off. He did everything that was asked of him. I just don't agree with anyone who said he didn't earn a max contract because they're fucking handed out like candy 
after rookie deals. It's just how it goes. And so I, I, I disagree that he never should have been signed. He should have been signed from day one. And if anyone wants to talk about attitude and all this <laughs> bullshit, well, maybe that's because you didn't sign him. And so I just get tired of, of everything. And the other thing that drives me a little crazy is everyone's like, well, Chris Paul, his work ethic, blah, blah, blah. Chris Paul's 30 fucking seven. I love him. I really do. I appreciate what he's done for the Suns. He's not going to play for the next 10 years. DeAndre Ayton is. And I don't understand this idea that our 37-year-old point guard is angry. Well, then tell him to fuck off. Tell him too bad. Work it out. I, I just don't like anything that the Suns have done. And everything is fractured. But I don't see any scenario right now other than the Suns cave, pay him the max, and he comes back. Because he's not going to take less. And you can't let him take the qualifying offer because that would just be, that would be a fucking disaster. You can't do that. So I just think you just have to pay him and then either let it go or if you want to look for trades, fine. But the simple fact of the matter is that you fucked yourself. You put yourself in this situation and there's no, like, there's no getting better now. Like there's no like, oh, we're going to find some sign and trade. No one's going to give you anything. Like everyone knows you've got a goddamn gun to your head because you handled this situation completely incorrectly. No one has cap space. So there's no like, there's no, I mean, for DeAndre, that sucks because there's nobody that he can leverage just to make it easy. But it's also like, that means that every single thing would have to be a sign and trade and teams know that they've got you over a barrel in that scenario. Like it just, you're not going to like extract a ton from them. Like it's just a fuck situation. And I just think the only thing they can do at this point is sign him and try to rehab his value. That's it. I don't think you can do anything else. I think that's the only outcome. And by the way, I'm fine with that. Cause like, I also think there's a scenario where Robert Sarver is forced to sell the team very soon. And a new owner comes in and is like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. I don't give a shit about what happened before. I'm here's this contract. I'm going to pay it. We're going to take care of you, blah, blah, blah. I still think that's possible. So I just think, I just don't see a scenario. Like, can you, am I blind? Can you point to any scenario that makes any sense for this? Like, I see things that are like Miles Bridges and PJ Washington for DeAndre Ayton. And it's like, okay, that is like the most sideways move of sideways moves. Like it doesn't, I don't, I don't see anything. I don't see anything. The only thing I see at this point is they signed him. That's it. Well, one of the things too, where I think they screwed up is it seems the, the center market right now, guys are getting overpaid this, this particular off season, the time to play hardball and eventually hammer out a deal where both sides, maybe give a little was last off season, because now you're seeing guys like Mitchell Robinson getting paid four years, 60 million. When a guy like, Wendell Carter Jr., who's who is better. There's no there's no debating that he is a better player. Got a lot less last last summer. Um Zubac on the Clippers. Yep. Uh, three years, 33 million. He, last last year he's probably getting what Nerland's Noel got, which was I think eight million a year. So the the cost of bigs have have gone up. And I think maybe last year you can point to it and be like, well, you know what, De DeAndre, we know you want Max. Uh, what if we go a hair under, a little bit under? I think he would have accepted that. His agent isn't stupid. Now they've shot themselves in the foot because these guys are going for a premium. They realize the agent has all the leverage right now. They're like, the Suns can't afford. They literally cannot afford to lose them because they don't have time to lose them. Last year, 
you know, you have a little bit of a window you can, you can maneuver. Now you don't have that. So it just, I don't know. It's just, it's messy. And it's, I hate to say it because the Suns have done so many things right over the last couple of years. This is just something that seems uh, idiotic. It, it just, and I don't want to put it on, um, the front office. I think this is an ownership thing, a cheap ownership, which has been the case since, as far as I can remember, it's part of the reason why Nash never got over the hump, right? And it, it could True. be the the reason why Chris Paul and Devin Booker don't get over the hump. I, you know, and I I would tend to agree, but I, Robert Sarver has spent more money than he's ever spent. He's gone further into the tax than he's ever gone. And the one thing I will say, I hate to defend this motherfucker. I'm not trying to defend him as a person, but I will say of the Nash era, everyone kills the Suns over not keeping Joe Johnson, but the Suns would have at that time effectively been carrying four near max contracts in Steve Nash, Joe Johnson, Amari Stoudemire, and Sean Marion. That is not something that fucking even now happens. Like, like, they get killed over that one a lot that there was almost no financial way for them to keep Mm -hmm. Joe Johnson without trading one of those other players. I just have to fucking go back to 2005 and say that that's right. I still have a grudge over 17 years ago, but the point is I, I agree with you completely. They fucked everything. I think if I I put this on James Jones, because I really fucking believe if they had gone to Deandre Ayton last year and said five years and 200 million, it's 7 million under the, the full total, but we can, we can, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's fully guaranteed. There's no, I think if they had come to him with five years at a slightly, a number slightly below the max, I think he would have taken it, but it was all of this. Well, what about a three year? What about a four year? And when you start talking about three and four year at slightly below, you're talking about a haircut of 30, $40 million, which, you know, you may never get that money back. And I start to understand Deandre eight inside. They nickel and dimed him on everything. Dude, look at the you look at like the plus minus from the NBA finals against the Bucks. He was the only player with the positive plus minus. Like they tanked when he sat. Like if the Suns had JaVale McGee last year, they have a fighting chance in those finals against the Bucks. It probably at least gets to game seven. So, like, because they just fell apart when he sat. Like, because they're playing Tory Craig at center, they're playing Dario. It's like, like it, it was just, and then Dario got injured. It just, it was it just without DeAndre, they had no chance. And how you can't look at a player like that I'm, and just say, I'm just going to pay him the mini max, especially now that the cap just went up $12 million this year, they completely mm-hmm. fucked it. They completely fucked it so hard because if they had come to him and said, okay, here's what we'll do. We're not going to give you an actual max, but we're going to give you a literal five-year $200 million contract. Cause you know, an actual max is technically tied to a percentage of the cap. And they could have said, we're going to give you this, but you know, if the cap goes up, you won't get that blah, blah, blah. Clay Thompson took that. Like there are plenty of guys throughout history who took that. And I just think it was that fifth year. And I think they they've shot themselves in the foot to now where the, I, I don't think they have a choice, but to pay him the full amount. I don't know what else you do right now because you can't let him walk for like nothing. That's a tragedy. Mm-hmm. And I just, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's Robert Sarver. I don't know if it's James Jones, but whoever it is, they royally fucked this situation for Phoenix. And it's disappointing. Cause like you said, this could be, this could be the nail in the you know the coffin of this championship window if they mismanage this situation it can still be saved there's always something that you don't anticipate there's always potential for this that or the other you never know what guys are available that you wouldn't think would be available you never know yeah, maybe we sign and trade bomba 
<laughs> yeah, the, hey, the championship right there. Yeah. Give me that seven ten wingspan. Yeah, uh, but James Jones has to pull a rabbit out of the hat for this not to be a total disaster. Because if they do resign DeAndre Ayton, he's coming back to a team that he knows hates him. The head coach doesn't like him. The 37-year-old point guard doesn't like him. And they're best friends now. Like, for, for DeAndre, this is a lose-lose situation, too. It just everyone has handled this wrong. And everyone told me when the Suns acquired Chris Paul, they're like, well, in two years, he's going to wear out his welcome and piss everyone off. And I was like, no, it's different now. He's old. And I feel that I have been taught my lesson. And now I just don't know. Like, I... I'm very emotional about it. You asked me a simple question. I'm giving a 20 minute mm -hmm. response. Um, I really don't see any scenario other than him being re-signed and it's a disaster for everyone involved. I'm very, I'm very upset about this upcoming season. That's why I'm well, watching magic basketball. <laughs> I think the, the, the off season free agency is sort of hung up on this right now, because I mean, right now you have Bradley Beal who opted out, but I think he's going to return to the wizards. Same with James Harden. He's, he's going to return. Um, and so really the, the the big player, the big name that still has question marks about what's going to happen is DeAndre Ayton and, you know, how the rest of the, the other 27, 26 teams that are going to be active in, in free agency, what they do, a lot of them is going to be based on what happens with DeAndre Ayton and the fallout from that, because then there are going to be other teams who are shifting what they're doing. Cause he's going to get offers from other teams. Oh, sure. Um, there's going to be talks of, of trades. There's going to be maneuvering like the Knicks have maneuvered for Jalen Brunson. Yeah. There could be maneuvering from other teams. Like we need to create cap space to try to uh, give him an offer that Phoenix just doesn't want to match. Uh, it, 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 lack of a better term. Uh, I think the summer is going to run through Phoenix right now, at least until the eight in situations figured out. And I, I, I agree with you. And I think the other problem is that there's not a lot of, like, obviously there's not a lot of cash around the league. So that creates an advantage for the Suns just in terms of, oh, it would be a sign and trade or whatever. But I think that the teams that, you know, like I said, like the, the, the Hornets, everyone's like the Hornets need a center and that's fair. Um, but like, what is, how does that even, like, I don't even know how, like, and the Hornets have said they're keeping Miles Bridges. So what does that even, they don't even have anything that works for the Suns at that point. Everyone, I've heard a lot of people actually saying that Dallas would want DeAndre Ayton to pair with, you know, Luka Doncic, you know, and again, like interesting idea, but the Suns aren't going to like help the Mavericks. Like, they're, mm -hmm. like that would be the dumbest, you know, they're not going to just like give him away. So I don't even know. I, you know, I've saw, I've seen things about the Lakers, you know, the Lakers have literally nothing to offer. Um, you know, the Suns are going to take Russell Westbrook, like, you know, the teams that make sense for DeAndre Ayton or that are interested in DeAndre Ayton or whatever, you know, I don't know how mutual it is. I don't, it is, it's going to hang up a lot of stuff because number one, I do think he's an underrated player. I do think mm -hmm. that, I think part of the problem is that being drafted ahead of Luka Doncic creates these sort of impossible expectations. He has to do this. He has to do that. He's just a very, very good NBA center. And I, and I know that he's not the best player in the league or whatever. He's not an MVP candidate. Fine. That, you know how it goes in the NBA. It's like you're, you're undervalued until you sign your contract. And the minute you sign your contract, you're immediately overvalued. And, you know, everyone says you're garbage and you're washed. And you never should have been paid. And, you know, NBA value is a weird thing. But I think that DeAndre Ayton is underrated. I think that whatever he ends up, I think he's going to be motivated to do well. I, I, I hope for the best for him. I will always root for him. But I just, 
it is a disaster. Whether he comes back to Phoenix or goes somewhere else, James Jones would have to be an absolute wizard to make something work. Like, I don't even, I just don't know. I just don't know. Uh, you know, like, I have no clue. You could send him to, like, New Orleans. You're not going to get Brandon Ingram, you know? Like, I don't, you know. Um, I know Portland is interested, but you're not going to get anything out of them. They don't have anything to give. Like it's. Uh, yeah. Maybe I, I, you could do a, a signing trade with Atlanta. They got John Collins. He's still a downgrade, but like. That's the, not... that's the one that I'm like, I wouldn't hate that. Like John Collins is, I think, I think in that scenario, you're acknowledging that, John Collins is your four if you're Phoenix mm-hmm. and you're trying to find a center somewhere else. I don't hate that. Like if the if the Suns came out of this with John Collins, I'm not I'm not angry, especially given that he's on a contract already. So that's the one that's out there that but I don't know like I mean, how does that all does that, you know, maybe I I I don't know exactly how that works out because like that seems like a scenario where like like what is it? Is it like is it like a sign and trade for Collins, like straight up? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, well, I don't know. I don't know exactly what. So, you know, I think I, I would be happy with that, though. That's the one that's remaining. But it just feels like Atlanta is. I don't, I don't know. I Maybe they view him as, you know, kind of the missing piece. That would be um, that would be interesting. You said you like the DeJounte Murray trade, right? I do. I'm, I'm, I'm a DeJounte Murray stan. Like. Uh, that's another guy pre-draft I'm not a draft expert by any means but typically every year I find 5, 10 15 guys that I like and I'll just watch film and I'll watch highlights and I'll listen to people a lot smarter than me talk about them and Murray was like that for me um, he sort of exceeded my expectations for sure, I didn't think he was going to be this good but yeah, I, I'm a big fan of him and I think uh, Trey Young is too smart of a player to not figure out how to play alongside another lead guard I think that that it may be a little bit ugly at first the preseason first month or so of the season but those guys will figure it out that both of those guys are way too talented I think that's a good deal and especially given that the essentially what it boils down to is the Spurs getting three likely late first round picks mm-hmm. um and the the corpse of Danilo Gallinari so yeah I mean, so many teams could have made that deal. The Knicks could have made that deal. The Magic could have made that deal. Uh, pretty much anyone but the Lakers could have made that deal if they wanted to. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you got to figure out what to do with Capella in that situation. Obviously, if he's not also going back to Phoenix, unless you're trying to bring him off the bench behind Aiden or something. I don't know exactly how all that well, would. Yeah, maybe there's teams for Capella, too. It's not like he's getting paid, what, 15, 20 million a year. I don't know off the top of my head. It's been a yeah. while since I looked his numbers up, but yeah. You could find somewhere for Capella for sure. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's not that's not an impossible deal at all to move. Um, I, and I, I, you know, I think, you know, then they, they would probably want to move him for a three or a four, assuming, you know, wherever they want to play, you know, DeAndre Hunter. I mean, I, I, I like, I agree with you. I like, I like the DeJounte and, and Trey Young pairing a lot. Like, I really think this is good for the Hawks. And I also think, like you said, that's bad for the magic, at least this year in terms of, because you've got a player going from, you know, West to East with really nothing comparable going back to the Western conference, just picks. Mm -hmm. Um, Clearly the Spurs are tanking for Wemby, but 
Um, interesting move for Pop. I was really surprised to feel bad know. for the guy. That he's gonna. I mean, who knows how much longer he's gonna be in the league? I would hate his twilight years to be filled with rebuilding and developing young talent. I was really surprised. Like, but I guess when they traded Derek White, I mean, I guess the writing was sort of on the wall because, like, I mean, they traded him for picks. Like, they wanted those picks, and I guess that that was. But man. I don't know. And this is weird too. Cause like, yeah, they're going to have a top pick next year in the draft, but like you still only have a one in four chance and they haven't stockpiled picks the way that the thunder have it's they're kind of like deciding to tank sort of late. And it's, it's a weird, it's a weird choice. I, I, I don't understand the things that the Spurs have done really since the Kawhi Leonard situation. I think that they really haven't had sound decision-making in a while now. And I love to see it. Cause I fucking hate that team. So goddamn much. <laughs> um, I uh, how is that as a Suns fan, by the way? Like Popovich is universally beloved, but like obviously they're a, a rival, a big time rival. How, like, what do you? You have to have mixed emotions about uh, about that, no? About about Popovich in general? Yeah, like you hate the Spurs, but I can't imagine you hate Popovich. I know. I think. I mean, I think he's an incredible person, obviously, and I think that he's one of the best coaches of all time. I just hate all the success that he's had against Phoenix. It's annoying as fuck. Like, but I don't, I mean, I, I like, I hate, like I hate him in the way that I hated Kobe. Like, like, God damn, you're good. I hate you. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's not like a, like a real visceral hatred. Like, like I have a real visceral hatred for the New York jets. Like I don't have like a playful hatred for the New York jets. I fucking hate them. I hate their, I hate their fans. (laughs) I hate, I hate everything. I hate them so much. It's just, it's just from years of being a Tom Brady stand. I fucking mm-hmm. hate them. I last when they won against the Jets last year, the the Bucks. Like, and it was like a week fifteen game, a regular season game. They shouldn't have even been close to losing to the Jets. But like, he threw a touchdown to Sal Grayson, like an eighty yard game winner. I leapt out of my fucking chair and screamed like they had just won the Super Bowl. I hate the New York Jets. I cannot express it enough. And nothing about that is anywhere close to like what I feel for the Spurs. So no, it's not a, it's not a Supreme hatred thing. It's just a hate respect thing. It's like, God damn you, but he's good. I know he's good. You know what's funny about the Jets thing? So I am so far removed from Jets fandom. (laughs) I like, I, I, I I'm a Jets fan too, but I don't really, I I didn't even know that. That's so funny. I don't even interact with the Jets fans. I, I watched one game last year. Like I'm mentally checked out. Uh, my my source of Jets discussions comes from my cousin, who is my co-host on on Friends with Boredom, my podcast. Uh, and occasionally, uh, uh, my friend Dennis, who maybe once or twice a year, I'll talk to him for a couple minutes about it. But it's funny because even though I like football, I'm just so far removed from the fan bases. I'm not on NFL Twitter. I don't follow any NFL teams on, on social media. Uh, I don't watch every single Jets game. I don't watch every NFL game. I watch a handful of games a year, uh, non-Jets games a year. Uh, being in Florida, we don't get 16 games, so I watch when I can. But this past year, I watched one. And I, I, I you know, I can honestly see why you would hate <laughs> Jets fans, because if it's anything like my cousin, <laughs> they know they're bad and they're upset all the time. They're grumpy because the team is miserable and they have very little to be excited about. And in the moments where maybe they show a flash, they're unbearable. 
It's like the Knicks, last year, the the Bing Bong guy and the Roller Rebel guy. You know what I'm talking about? Like, oh god, they yes. had one glimmer of success, and it's like, oh god, shut the fuck up, just Ugh. shut up. That shut Bing up. Bong thing was so annoying. It was yeah. constant. Yeah, I think it's this. It's the same thing. It's not like Yankees fans because Yankees fans have been good. The Yankees have been good forever for the most part, and the fans just like when they're winning, they're just like that's their default. You know what I mean? They don't they don't get higher than what they're supposed to get. It was Knicks fans, Jets fans. Uh, I think Mets fans are just a little bit too bashful for my, uh, you know, liking. So I don't think they throw you can throw them in. But Knicks and Jets have a lot in common, and I think their fan base is just it's, oh god, I want to punch a wall. My cousin's a, a Knicks fan too, and the Knicks are probably my the the team I, I follow second most. Either them or the Mavericks, and it's just like. I can't like the, the the Knicks specifically. They'll boo a draft pick. They don't even know the guy. They boo him. You don't need, <laughs> you don't even know that you booed Kristaps Porzingis. He turned out pretty well back in the day when they had the two second round picks back to back. They drafted Landry Fields and Andy Routens. They applauded Andy Routens. They went crazy for Routens. Booed Landry Fields, who was the better player and would have had a much longer career if not for injuries. So it's just I think New York fans. I love my family to death. But uh, just a bunch of morons, idiots with low IQs, like knuckle dragging morons is what they are. I'm not even the one saying it. It's incredible. Uh, I, uh, you know, the funniest thing is, and every New York Giants fan I've ever come into contact with, like they find out I'm like a Tom Brady fan. They're like, man, they're like those Super Bowls were a coin flip. I don't know, could have gone either way. I, like unprompted, I've had so many Giants fans be they're like, "Sweet, yeah, yeah they're like, sweet. they're so nice about it." I'm like, I'm like, you, you should be like throwing that shit in my face, like ah, but they really don't. It's and maybe it, they just wait till I leave the room and then they do that, and that's fine. Even then, that's infinitely more respectful. I like, I, I have Jets fans like who still want to talk shit about like the 2010 playoffs. Like you run into people like that. And I'm just like, which by the way, Jabari does with the Lakers, but whatever. Yeah. Um, um, Yeah. It's no, I just, uh, it's a whole lot of, yeah. Boston versus New York stuff, but truthfully, like I've lived all over my whole life and I've bounced around so much that like, I've, I, you know, I, my geographical preference for team. That's how, like, I'm, I love Tom Brady, but I'm also a Suns fan. Like what, what can you do with sports? Whenever people try to question my loyalty, like about like various teams or whatever, I'm like, dude, there's a pandemic and we're all going to die soon. Who fucking gives a shit? What team I root for? It's all laundry. Who cares? We're all going to die. And no one will yeah. remember who I rooted for anyway, because well, the, the weird world thing for will me burn down. Is, you know, so my family is all from New York and I came down here as a child. Um, but I came down here. And when I started, like, it's like 93, 94 is when I start like, that's when you start developing memories. I was four or five years old and the Magic were in the finals, right? And so it was everywhere in Orlando. No, no matter where you went, there was Magic stuff. And of course you were seeing the jerseys and rap videos and Shaq and Penny were all over commercials. So it's like the Magic are my team. And, you know, I didn't get into football until I was like 10, 11. Maybe Chad Pennington was the quarterback for the Jets and, uh, for a period of time, I got into hockey because Wayne Gretzky played for the Rangers. And it's like, all right, all your favorite teams are New York, but somehow you've stuck with the magic. <laughs> so like my people down here, like in Florida, think, why well, why aren't you a Buccaneers fan? Why aren't you a Dolphins fan? And, you know, I I just got bad luck, man. That's why <laughs> I just got bad luck. I, and then my New York family is like, why aren't you a Knicks fan? And I was like, because I'm not a fucking idiot. That's why. <laughs> I was, I I can remember very clearly when I was, 
10 years old. It was week three of the 1996, 1997 NFL season. And I, I had, my friend had like been a Cowboys fan and he had always got me rooting for the Cowboys, but I was kind of done with that. Cause I wanted my own team and both the Patriots and the Cardinals were Owen two. And I lived in Arizona, but I was from New England. And I said, okay, I'll be for the Patriots. And until that point, the Patriots were a complete joke, right? Well, that was the first year that Drew Bledsoe really took off. And they went to the Super Bowl that year. And ever since then, I'd been a Patriots fan. So it was a pretty goddamn good choice because the Cardinals suck forever. But I think that's the thing about sports is like, you know, whatever connection you have to a team will draw from, you know, whatever time in your life where you are physically, mentally, emotionally, and like, it creates important connections that it's all just about stories. Right. In the end, like, like I was at game, uh, game two of the Suns Mavs series and we kicked their fucking ass and it looked great and everything fell apart, but it's still like one of the great days of my life because I had a phenomenal time with, you know, going with my friend and everything. And it's like, I think that that's for me, like, that's why I don't really give a shit about like what people's loyalties or where are you from, whatever, like, we all have different connections to these teams at different points in our life. And I think that's what the cool thing about all this is, is like you, it just creates these connections in your brain that create great stories. And that's why I fucking love talking sports all the time. Cause yeah. it's like, well, I remember this and then we did this. And I remember those magic teams in the finals. And that was an exciting fucking time because Shaq and Penny were like one of the most exciting young duos in the NBA. And that was just like, that's who was exciting. Like just as a basketball fan, that was exciting. So I'm, I'm sure like living there yeah. when it happened had to be fucking cool. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 my memories are like fading. Small. Obviously, it's been so <laughs> so long, but like, just I remember just seeing the stuff everywhere. And again, the two two thousand nine, you experience it again with like I was eighteen, nineteen years old. Maybe I was twenty. I don't remember how old I was, but I had a a better understanding. Actually, funny story. Uh, I probably don't have too much time, but I think I should I should tell you this. I think you'd appreciate this because uh, you probably hate the Lakers pretty pretty strongly, right? So, I do. I was I went to a couple of the finals games. Uh, they were a gift uh, from my parents because it was around my twenty first birthday or twentieth birthday, one twentieth birthday probably. Um, we sold one of the games, which happened to be the game the Magic won. And I was not at that one, <laughs> okay. and my parents sold it for fifty dollars to somebody who really wanted to go instead of selling it for the market value of like five thousand dollars per ticket. But that's fine. That's that's okay. Uh, the person was. Uh, sort of struggling with money anyway and i'm sure he appreciated it so it's a memory he has so good for him anyway the last game i think it's game five in orlando um i uh i left a few minutes early i didn't want to see it my heart was crushed because the series i mean the series was what four one but all the games were pretty tight that series could have gone either way it came down to a couple minutes but I'm walking out of the arena and uh, I see Magic Johnson in the Amway uh, arena at the time. It was the old arena, so it was very small, very compact. And I see him in the hallway and I just yell, fuck Magic Johnson. <laughs> and like he walks past me, probably 30 years of experience getting cursed at, right? And as I'm walking, I'm just like, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to keep you on. I'm like, fuck Magic Johnson. Fuck Kobe Bryant. Uh, fuck Robert Ory. Trevor Reed. Like, just going on and on. Fuck Jamie Buss. Jamie Buss. Like, all of it. And then I'm outside the arena now, and I'm still going on. And I don't know who I said fuck to. Or like, maybe fuck Derek Fisher. And somebody is like, fuck you. 
And I was like, nah, man, fuck you. And he comes up to me. There was two of them. And I'm like, the fuck did you say to me, dog? And I was like, I said the same shit you said to me, dog. And like, there's two of them. One of me, I was like, I'm going to get my ass kicked, but I'm fucking, I don't care. I don't care. I'm not angry. They can kick, they can kick my ass. So I got to, I got to act tough, right? I got to act tough. You see what I look like. I don't, I don't look like a tough guy. Like I'm a taller guy. And I'm, you know, a hefty guy. I'm tall. I, I got height on me, but I'm, I can't take two dudes. And I'm like, oh, chest, chest puffed out the fuck are you gonna do and then i see them both slowly back away i'm like that's right that's right and then i realized i turned around it's a fucking police officer on a horse so i thought they were backing up because they were scared of me but in actuality it was the police officer on a horse but i think they docked me because they started following me somehow i got my my very badass uh 2006 chevy cobalt which happened to be purple the sedan and as i'm about to pull off cop flashes his lights at me and uh tells me to roll down my window um i was like okay that's fine but i had a lint roller in my hand and i was going to put the lint roller down he's like sir put the gun down and i and I, I was like it's it's a lint roller he's like i don't care what it is put it down and so not only uh, was i embarrassed that i almost got my ass kicked by by two dudes uh i'm also embarrassed that i got pulled over and i had a lint roller in my hand as it was happening um and my favorite basketball team just lost to the fucking los angeles lakers who i just uh, couldn't stand so and you were that close to becoming florida man get shot with lint roller yeah as the very, headline <laughs> that that close yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. before i let you go any uh, that is a great story by the way i am that that's fucking amazing i'm so glad you told matthew johnson fuck magic johnson yeah that's that's yeah. really important it's good that i also that, that playoff series i told john barry to go fuck himself uh because he was on espn or something before the playoffs and he said there's no chance of magic win this series so like fuck him um rachel nichols because i had really good seats for one game rachel nichols was uh doing a sideline report and she was wearing open toe shoes like oh, she's got nice feet i'm not even a feet guy i'm like oh, those nice nice feet so there's that i'm trying to think what other tidbits i have um to walk past Stuart scott he seemed like a nice guy oh uh, yeah. r.i.p i miss Stu scott man he was the best um any nba hot takes for this season like the jalen brunson thing good idea bad idea any thoughts or i was talking to my cousin about it i think i think it's a risk I think it's a high risk, high reward situation. They're gutting, not gutting the team. But they're getting rid of some talented guys. Like, granted, they're overpaid Alex Burks and and, and uh, New Orleans Noel, but they gave up what uh, so far six second round picks, yeah, and the eleventh pick in this draft to yeah. unload those two contracts and create cap space for them. I think sometimes you have to overpay your guy. It worked with the Magic when they got Richard Lewis a few a decade ago, actually, whenever it was. So. You never know with these kind of things. They could pay off. Um, I don't know. I'm sort of torn on it because I, I do appreciate the Knicks. I appreciate Jalen Brunson. I don't, I don't know if I told you this. The Mavericks are the team I watched second most of the Magic and, and grew up worshiping Dirk. So, like, they've sort of – and Luca was my guy, like, even two years prior to the draft. I wanted the Magic to get him. He goes to the Mavericks. So, it's like just continued lineage of appreciation for the Mavericks. Um I hate to see him go, but there's a price point for all these players. And as good as Jalen Brunson is, it Jalen Brunson is, he's not worth 25 million right now. Yeah, maybe he develops, but I, I 
he's not better than Fred Van Vliet. What, do you think so? Do you think he's better than uh, Fred Van Vliet? Um, I would probably take him over Fred Van Vliet. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I, I, I mean, they both can be streaky. I think Fred's probably a better outside shooter, but Jalen, I mean, man, the way he was able to get to the rim sometimes, and that's I just it's his inside out game is impressive, mm-hmm. and I like. I think Fred Van Vliet, let me put it to you this way. I think that Fred Van Vliet could fit in on literally any team and be a plus. I don't think that's true about Jalen Brunson. I think that he has to have the specific fit, but I think that when he has the right fit, he can be more impactful than Fred Van Vliet. Yeah, I think he's going to be a good fit, potentially, if the Knicks get him. I think he'd be a good fit next to Julius Randle. I think they can help unlock each other's uh, game a bit more. It's just it's a a risk because if you tie up, five years, $110 million into a point guard who just came off a 16 and five season. I don't care how efficient it is. That's a risk. Yeah. Because that is your core. Now that is definitively your core. Yeah. I mean, you're not making yourself a championship team. You're making yourself a good team and that's fine. And maybe, you know, you just get enough pieces to the point that, you know, the next big swing comes along, but I do think that there's a situation where, I mean, they're, they're doing it again, right? They're going to spend their money and they're going to be the Knicks. Maybe they will be decent, but I, I think they're making weird choices, but yeah. um, regardless, man, I appreciate you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah. Thank you for talking. Thanks for having me. Magic, Knicks, Jets, everything with me. We'll have to do this again sometime. I yeah. really appreciate Get you. Get you on my podcast. Absolutely. Anytime I'm available. I've spent too much time doing this shit. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you, man. Thank you so yeah, much. We'll absolutely. talk soon. All right. See you. Peace. Thank you so much to my man for stopping by. Always good to talk basketball with the fan of a team that loves their team and knows what's up Jonathan is definitely that dude can't wait to go on his podcast and by the way that New York Jets shit was fucking hilarious because I literally had no idea that was coming that was just a little gift for all of you that shit was funny as hell NFL take really not a whole lot going on in the NFL world right now we're in the offseason the one big thing on the transaction wire that has come across in the last few days is Terry McLaurin signing an extension with the commanders. I don't think anyone was really shocked about that. He gets a bunch of money up front, gets a solid extension. He gets to hit free agency again, uh, I think at age 29. It's a good deal for McLaurin. Solid deal for the commanders as well. It works for everyone, except for the fact that the commanders still don't have a fucking quarterback, man. And I'm not saying that you should just trade Terry McLaurin or let him go. But we're literally, I mean, we got to be fucking kidding ourselves because people are talking about the commanders like they could be something and they're hyping them up a little bit. And I don't know, man, now they've got a quarterback. What the fuck are you talking about? How bad does Wentz have to be before people will give up on him? Like, what does this guy have to do for people to just not believe in him anymore? He's been fucking awful. And not only has he been awful, but he's been awful in the clutch. People hold on to the first 13 games of that Eagles Super Bowl season or whatever the fuck it was, however many games it was. And they're just like, well, if we could get back to 2018 Carson Wentz, we just need to get back to that Carson Wentz. If we can unlock that Carson Wentz, dude, it's been like four fucking years at this point. We are so far removed from him being that guy. And people are still sitting here being like, oh, no, 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 it's going to happen. Washington's going to unlock it. They're going to figure it out. And, you know, I understand that, you know, you don't always have a ton of great options to acquire a quarterback and sometimes it can be difficult but they move pretty quickly on this as if they thought he was the guy 
And there were other options available, including like, just don't fucking do that. Don't give up assets to acquire a player who is proven to be a net negative. You don't want this guy around. You don't want this guy on your team. And I cannot for the life of me understand why Washington is doing this. And I feel for Terry McLaurin. Now, Terry McLaurin did play football at Ohio. So fuck that guy in some ways. There is that. But, you know, it's just everyone's talking about, well, this deal's going to be huge for Washington. This is a big deal. Now we got Terry McLaurin Inc. Now we got it. But what do you have? You got a dude who can't get the ball to that guy. You got a dude who can't make decisions. You really fuck like two more seasons of Washington football by acquiring Carson Wentz because it's not just acquiring him for the one season he's going to play for you before you move on from him, but it's the asset you gave up to get him because it's not like they gave up nothing. I think they gave up like a third round pick or some shit. I don't know what the fuck they gave up. Maybe it was a second round. I don't know. The point is, you know what? No, let's look it up. Let's look this shit up right now so that we can properly disparage Washington for what they did. Yeah, they swapped seconds and basically they gave up a third and another conditional third. Like, what the fuck are you doing? You're giving up real assets for guys when you're you're paying in the top three rounds. And I understand the logic of like, well, if I could pay two third round picks for a starting quarterback, I make that trade every time. You didn't do that because you didn't acquire a starting quarterback. You acquired Carson fucking Wentz. And look, I'm happy to watch Washington fail just like everyone else in the world who's not from the D.C. area. So it's not about that. I could give a fuck about the team. But I just think it's interesting that when you're watching people sign this extension and they're going on and on about now we got it, Washington's going to be it. You're forgetting about the fact that someone has to get that dude the ball and you still haven't solved that problem. Carson Wentz is not the answer. And we're looking at like another six win season in Washington. Congratulations on your extension, though. Gambling pick of the day. I am one and two so far, so that is truly incredible on my part. You certainly should lock in your picks when I make them, but it seems like you should just lock in the opposite pick that I make. But we're going to go ahead and turn that motherfucking stuff around because today we're going to go ahead with a WNBA pick. Anyone who knows me knows I kill it on the WNBA. So tomorrow I got the New York Liberty at home against the Atlanta Dream. Right now I've got that at minus five and a half. Take Liberty minus five and a half. The Dream are falling apart. The Dream is dead, if you will. And uh, the Liberty Liberty are at least a fun, exciting team. Coached by Sandy Brondello. Gotta love her. And if you're not picking Sabrina Ionescu, then, you know, what the fuck are you doing? So, and that one is tomorrow, Thursday. Now is the part of the show when we switch from sports and we go into pop culture. So I will again set off my spoiler warning for the following two programs. I'm going to talk about Westworld Season 4, the premiere, and I'm also going to talk about the movie The Black Phone. And I'll probably give away things about both of those. So if you have anything that you want to, uh, you know, you want to see those, you don't want to have them be ruined, blah, blah, etc. Now is a good time to skip ahead to the verse of the day. Let's go ahead and talk about Westworld. I probably shouldn't even do this, and I really can't have a thorough discussion of Westworld without having my man Keith on the show. What up, Keith? How you doing? We got to get you back on soon. It's been a minute. You know, we've been watching Westworld together since the beginning, and I think that you would have plenty to say about what's going on. Um, But my big thing is this, man. This season begins with Dolores... You know, in, she's obviously in a system, right? We saw the sign. She's in the maze and Teddy shows up. 
which means she's in a computer somewhere. And she's not even Dolores. She's got brown hair and she's Christina. And she's on this loop creating stories. And some guy is saying her stories are coming to life. You know, who the fuck knows? It's clearly within a simulation of some sort. Um, you know, just the fact that Teddy's there. Unless, of course, they reprinted bodies. I suppose that's possible. It's seven years in the future. There are, you know, sort of references to a vague war that we really didn't get to see, obviously, because that has occurred between season three and season four. We see that Caleb has a family now. All things are good. Maeve is still alive, etc. And it begins with William executing the hostile takeover of some facility, which I assume contains the Sublime, because we don't know where the Sublime is. We don't know where it was sent, but this is some sort of data facility. Here's my problem. Number one, Dolores is fucking dead. Rehoboam deleted all of her memories. And that was the original Dolores. So the actual Dolores is gone. Now there's still Charlotte Hale Dolores, who is, you know, started as Dolores, but then became someone else because she went crazy living in Charlotte Hale's skin. But that's not the original Dolores. And now William is dead, the man in black, who has also been replaced, I assume, by yet another Dolores. So like, what the fuck is going on here? We're just killing all of our characters and we're replacing them with copies of the main character who is now dead? Like, what are we doing? It's not fun to kill all of your characters and then make actors play copied versions of one character. Like, what the fuck are they doing? I'm not a fan of what's going on. And I had honestly forgotten how season three ended. You know, after the credits rolled, they kill the man in black with a man in black host, essentially. And they basically make one who is, you know, we've seen at the end of, of season two, they showed the fidelity test for William at one point, right? So we know that this man in black went through the fidelity test with, you know, a version of his daughter or whatever. But who is it? Who's within his head? Is it a copy of the man in black? Is it a host version of the man in black? Or is it just another copy of Dolores? Regardless, the original Dolores and the original William, aka man in black, are both dead. What the fuck am I watching? I like Maeve a lot. I like Caleb a lot. I enjoy those things. Of course, those characters are cool. Like, I'm not trying to say those plot lines are dumb, but why the fuck did we kill both of our original characters? Like, this started with William and Dolores, and now it has spun out into something so much more. You know, the first season of Westworld is just like about the park. And now we're into season four, and we're in a post-apocalyptic world where the main character has been copied over and is now going after the people. Like, we're into season four. We didn't even see this war. It just happened. It was just over. I guess they figured that was too expensive or not important, cliched, whatever it was. But this is a show that started with promise and is still very good. It's still appointment viewing. I still watch it the second it comes out because I don't want it to be ruined. And I enjoyed season three quite a bit. But... Man, I just, it feels like we're just missing the marks at different points. Like, it feels like we're so close and we're just not quite getting there with this show. Like, I just don't, this season has got to be something really interesting because, again, we're in a post-war scenario. You've killed the main two characters. The representation of the character of the man in black is now just maybe potentially another copy of Dolores and... You know, Christina is also just a copy of Dolores. Like, it's just, it's just bizarre how many fucking characters are copies of Dolores. And I, I, I don't know. And again, maybe, 
we're going to devolve into this is the host, William, who is a copied version of William. And, you know, this is just the part of him that was the man in black and blah, blah, blah. You know, who knows? There's a lot of avenues they can go down. And I'm sure that by the end of the season, I'm going to be like, oh, man, they really did it. That blew my mind. They had more thought into it than I was thinking. But right now, I just I, I came away kind of bored from the first episode of the first season because it was just sort of more of the same. I don't really need, you know, a 40-minute explanation that she's on her loop. You could have, like, showed me that within the first five minutes and gotten more into the story. But they take their time in a fucking excruciating Vince Gilligan-like way sometimes. And I just get a little bit frustrated with that. I will say that I think that Westworld does do one thing extremely well, and that is that it forces really interesting conversations because when you're discussing what's going on with the, you know, the hosts and whether or not they have agency, whether or not they're human, whether or not this is all part of, you know, a structured program or whether they actually are like thinking and all of that, it actually, it's very interesting to be able to have those discussions about a television show and some of the the best television shows are simply the ones that create great discussion and you know it's not necessarily always about the greatest storylines or the greatest drama or the funniest whatever it's just about what gets you talking and i think that westworld excels at that because from the beginning i mean i remember when westworld first aired like the first episode the next day there were like 40 westworld podcasts like people were obsessed with it basically immediately and understandably so it was i mean i don't know if it was necessarily unique just given the fact that it was based on you know core material that had been made in the 70s but the representation of what went on in the first season of westworld was fairly unique in terms of television just in terms of how in-depth it was how far the material went some of the concepts they explored and it was really just a setup for this other world, but I find myself wondering at times if they knew exactly where they were gonna go. And I almost wonder if that's part of it for them is figuring out where the world grows as they write it. But it also seems like, man, you probably should have had like some sort of planned ending for this. And maybe they do. Maybe they know exactly where they're going. But the fact that it's taking them like two years in between every season at this point isn't really making me feel like they know what they're doing. It's making me feel like at least they're taking their time to get it right. And I do have to say, given everything that we saw go wrong with like the end of Game of Thrones, not that I give a shit about it, but just we all know how poorly that went for everyone who loved Game of Thrones. We can understand, you know, HBO, hey, we'll let you guys take your time, make good seasons of Westworld. You know, we'll stretch it out. We'll make it happen. People will enjoy it when it comes back. And I do think that they're doing that. Um, I will say it is again it is it's so crazy how different the show is now from the first season and i do think that that is something worth noting um you know my two favorite seasons of television are altered carbon the netflix show um that's just my two favorite seasons of tv ever i love that show i thought it was fucking awesome i was sad that it didn't get picked up for a third season but the two seasons it did air were awesome and i think that westworld is you know, a show that can be that caliber. And, you know, maybe for a lot of people, they like Westworld more than Altered Carbon. But I just think, I don't know. It's just, I'm just like, man, it's so close. And again, probably by the end of the season, I'll change my tune. Who knows? Again, I loved season three. 
I do think it's interesting, you know, going back a couple of things, watching the end of season three again. Charlotte Hale Dolores is the only Dolores alive, unless William is also a copy of Dolores. There is that. Um, we don't know that Ciroc is dead. You know, they showed Ciroc stabbed by Maeve, but they did not show him die. And they did show Maeve and Caleb walk away from him. Now, it's been seven years, but I do think it's worth noting that they did not kill Ciroc. You know, it's usually deliberate when they don't show someone die. And they didn't show Stubbs die. You know, they showed him left alone in the bathtub, which I assume after however long Bernard was in the sublime. I mean, who knows? It could be years. It could be months. We don't know the answer to that question. We just saw Bernard come out of the sublime at the end of the credits and who the hell knows. So there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of potential for good plot lines, but I'm just disappointed in my two favorite characters and Dolores and William now essentially being gone and being replaced by other versions of themselves. I mean, it's interesting, but you know, you lost your two main characters. That does kind of bite just as a fan. Now, we still have Bernard, but we also lost Ford. Now, again, that's a first season thing, but he was actually quite a bit in the second season. Now, obviously that was never going to be long-term, but again, just so much of what made you love the first season is gone. It's a completely different show now, and it's still great, but it, you know, it's, it just, it's a little different. Now, adding Aaron Paul really helps, obviously, and Danny Newton's amazing. Um, you know, it's just, I, I, I'll, I'll miss the characters that I love, but I'm sure that they'll find a way to make it work. And generally they always do and like i said it's appointment viewing for me anyway so who the hell am i to judge i watch the show every week movie review let's talk about the black phone a very interesting movie in which ethan hawk plays a serial killer who abducts teenagers teenage boys and kills them and you know, I'm not a big fan of Blumhouse because it seems like every fucking Blumhouse movie has a super negative fucking ending. And every now and then I would like to enjoy a happy ending and Blumhouse doesn't seem to really traffic in that so much. But, you know, this one actually had a pretty good ending. Again, I'm fucking it up with spoilers here. You don't want to listen to my reviews because I'm just I'm just going to tell you what I thought of the movie. And I like the ending. It actually had a decent ending for once, not a horrendous ending. So many of these movies have... Just horrible fucking endings. I did think it was interesting that you know, I've talked before on my podcast. I think it was on the last episode. I was talking about what a fucking, you know, lame ass soft loser I am now since I had a kid in terms of how I view certain media. I think I was talking about the movie memory and just how certain things, you know, they're too much for me. And I, you know, I would have thought that having a kid recently that a movie about teenage boys being abducted might be a little too much for me but i just thoroughly fucking enjoyed this film um don't know the name of the actor who played the main kid he did a great job he and the little sister gotta become i need like three or four good movies then i'll learn your names but whatever <laughs> they played the main kids and they were excellent ethan hawk is obviously very good and he's a big get for a movie like this you've got an 18 million dollar budget you just need one name to attach to it and you know he did a phenomenal job he it's interesting seeing a guy like ethan hawk who i have such like reverence for as an actor but seeing him play like a pedophile you know child abductor it's like oh you know and he just did a really good job playing a villain um and it's a scary movie 
And I think it's definitely a film you want to see in the theaters, though. I can see, like, I can see it having a lot less effect in a home setting, even with at night with the lights off and everything like that. I just really feel like this is a movie that you want to see in the theater if you can. Now, it did pretty well its first week. It's already, like, doubled what it costs, I think, around the world. So it'll probably be out there a couple more weeks. But that's just something I would recommend seeing in theaters because... I do think with horror movies, sure, you can create the experience at home. We've all seen good horror, but for the most part, the best horror experiences are just going to come in the theater because they can create the suspense and the drama, you know, with sort of the silence and, you know, just everything, you know, you don't hear your neighbors and, you know, there's a lot to it. And this is a film that I think would lose quite a bit if you weren't in that sort of, you know, theater arena um i will say i find it interesting this movie was really fucking straightforward like there's not twists there's not really turns there's not there are some sort of questions left unanswered like how the black phone works for example there are a few things that are sort of kind of vague um but if you just sort of let all that go and just enjoy the film it's a good movie that's not like in my top whatever i'm not a big horror buff so i'm not ever going to spend a ton of time talking about how great a horror film was or how much i love you know it's just not my genre but this is a movie that i would recommend to really anybody i just think it's an interesting good film about i don't know triumph for the human spirit and also a hilarious little girl who cusses out police officers, which is one of my favorite fucking things in the world is when children tell police to go fuck themselves. Really anyone telling police to go fuck themselves, but it's especially funny coming from like children. So fuck the police. Now is verse of the daytime. I'm gonna tell some real stories about some shit, then just drop some sick lyrics. Let's do this. It's 3 a.m. I'm in the passenger seat. Got something like a half an ounce in the bag at my feet. No big deal to you and me. But see, I'm DUI cruising in the Czech Republic and the cops don't agree. Never wheeling, don't judge me. Just on the road with the Dutchie. Pat makes a left and then trust me. The blue and red trap is ugly. Boldy from Boulder and the blunt doctor. High as fuck in the back watching my hero laugh it off and talk the cops off us. We had to pay them off. Corrupt motherfuckers out out trolling on the day they off but I stay well off cause I had a deportation in the trunk but stay cool and they taking off play it off I'm in the club avoiding vodka trying to find out where the fuck is my damn partner we playing cards, drunk Russian thugs, starting to see stars. I ain't drinking, they wonder who I are. The blunt doctor, motherfucker. I spit my real game, now nobody got to wonder. I'm the only one brave enough to carry drugs in this club, so don't hesitate to holler if you want the thunder. You dig? In the studio, I flip switches. Turn my game to 11, give motherfuckers the business. I don't rap to get bitches, but it's just part of the sickness. 
this I got consent from your mistress Pull her pigtails when I finish Don't know how I can quit this Because the mic is my fitness Mental treadmill is endless I'm on the loop and you'll witness I'm on the loop and you'll witness Oops, you stupid and witness groups Can bend the pen to paper But never come close to my truth Intercontinentally, fundamentally Mentally, immature, incidentally You've been lost since you went to me I'm a tornado meant to be In the stars since the centuries If I ever do rest in peace It'll be the new reveries Cause there's never an end to me Never gonna pretend to be done BDRX and their plans to outlive the sun And if the game is never won At least it just begun I'm on a loop and you'll witness I never flow with consistence Cause I break with traditions When I invent my positions So the shocker might be proud But I spit with convictions I paid my dues And since there's only one life to lose I might as well go buy some Kawhi twos The blunt doctor on the mic It's not a sound everybody motherfucking likes I got some good news for the haters on tonight Theoretically I'll die But I'm just not sure that's right I don't have a fucking mansion Or imminent expansion Just sick fucking lyrics from beginning to the stanchions I got a fucking plan son To give you what you ask it I write it and I spit it Then forget them that's the casket Whew. One take Fuck this shit, I don't give a fuck. I'm out. Peace.